This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, and welcome to another special Halloween edition of Bird Hugger. It's that time again when the veil between the living and the dead is very thin, and well, anything can happen. Yes, it's Halloween, and you can hear the dried leaves rustling across the dark streets and see the faraway glow of car headlights through the fog as small bands of scary ghosts and goblins roam the earth in search of sugar and chocolate. Lots of sugar and chocolate. I think we've got a frighteningly good show for you today. Today we'll be talking about how to make delicious organic pumpkin pesto. We'll also be talking about how to keep birds safe from outdoor Halloween decorations. Also on board is an interview with David Crawford, co-founder and executive director of AnimalHelpNow.org, an organization doing incredible work linking people who find injured wildlife with the vital help that they need. Have a safe and happy Halloween. And remember to always give out treats so you don't get any tricks. Now here's some spooky news. A new study is showing the warming climate is causing some animals to shapeshift. Due to climate change, some warm-blooded animals, including birds, are experiencing changes in their anatomy in order to better adapt to our warming planet. This includes growing larger beaks, bigger ears, and wider legs to allow for better regulation of body temperature. Avian researchers at Deakin University in Australia recently documented this shape-shifting in the journal Trends in Ecology and Evolution. The study showed several species of Australian parrot have demonstrated a 4-10% to 10% increase in bill size, and the North American dark-eyed junco has also shown evolutionary changes, including an enlarged beak to deal with sudden and unexpected heat events in normally colder regions. Dr. Sarah Riding, the study's lead researcher, said it is difficult to predict the overall consequences for animals as they evolve in an attempt to survive. For a delicious, healthy, and easy recipe, perfect for Halloween, organic pumpkin seed pesto. Here's what you'll need. Two fresh organic garlic cloves that are peeled. A half cup of organic raw unsalted pumpkin seeds. 
a quarter teaspoon of salt, an eighth of a teaspoon of ground black pepper, two tablespoons of fresh lime juice, a half cup of organic olive oil, and four cups of fresh organic cilantro leaves and stems. Put the garlic, pumpkin seeds, salt, pepper, lime juice, and olive oil into a food processor. Process until the pumpkin seeds are finely chopped, but not completely ground up. Then add two cups of the cilantro and process again quickly. Then add the remaining two cups of cilantro and process until chopped but not pureed. You can use the pesto fresh or freeze it for later. Now that's scary good, right? If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Halloween is a festive time, and it is fun to decorate the house inside and out to celebrate. But there are some Halloween decorations that pose a grave threat to wildlife. Unfortunately, fake spider webs made of polyester that are draped across trees and front porches can create a death trap for birds and small mammals like chipmunks and red squirrels. Wildlife that becomes trapped in artificial spider webs can suffocate or die of heart failure due to overexertion as they try to free themselves. If the animal does survive, it can suffer multiple injuries, including spiral fractures, soft tissue injuries, and deep lacerations. The animal can also die of starvation if not found in time. And now I'd like to introduce David Crawford, co-founder and executive director of AnimalHelpNow.org. AnimalHelpNow.org, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to providing help to your average citizen when they find an injured animal. Often the road to help can be confusing and exasperating for someone who has found an injured animal. People may call their local police department or the game warden in their area, or they may call their state's fish and game office. Sometimes they will call a veterinarian's office nearby or perhaps the animal control officer for their town. Time is of the essence as each minute ticks by and the animal's condition becomes graver and graver. However, if it's after 5 p.m. or a weekend or a holiday, these offices may be closed and they are often faced with having to leave a message on voicemail and praying the animal survives until the morning when the office reopens. And the people they do reach may not have information about the wildlife rehabilitators in the area that can save the animal. AnimalHelpNow.org creates an instant bridge between the person who found the animal and the wildlife rehabilitator qualified to save the animal. All you have to do is access their free app or download their page on your computer. Punch in your location and instantly you are given the names, addresses, and phone numbers of the wildlife rehabilitators in your area. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Catherine, thank you for having us. So tell our listeners all about your organization and how you help animals. Are you strictly wildlife? We are strictly wildlife in terms of 
our main services, which are to assist with emergencies and quote-unquote nuisance wildlife issues, wildlife conflicts. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary of launching the app. We launched in Colorado in 2011. The organization started a couple years before that. We were we, we, we had a different mission initially. There were a bunch of us who'd done a lot of animal advocacy work, and we were curious about never really having a big picture on animals. So what we were going to do, we had this thing called the Animal Census Project. We were going to start with all the animals in Colorado. So what species are in Colorado? Every type of animal species we could find, whether that animals in the wild or whether that animal is in a zoo or a research laboratory or a on a factory farm. Every single species we could identify, name those species, say where they live, say what the threats are that they're facing, and say who's trying to help them. So that if you care about prairie dogs, for instance, we could educate you about them, about the threats they face, and plug you right into the people who are helping them. Great project it's not done. We moved away from it because it was just too big for us with our low budget. But we, at that point, we had accumulated tons of data on wildlife rehabilitators, veterinarians, animal shelters, animal control agencies, et cetera. And that's when we decided, hey, we, we do know about this other need to tell people how to find help when there's an animal in need. And so we 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 all had tech backgrounds, the, the three principals who founded the organization. We started to envision what this might look like. And then we started to recruit tech people, volunteers. We're, we're almost all volunteers here still 10 years later. And we developed the app to serve Colorado for any any emergency that we could think of involving any kind of animal. Then we expanded to Texas and as I said, when we went national, we, we focused on wildlife. Can you tell me what personally motivated you to get involved? Yes, and this will resonate with a lot of your listeners, I imagine, Catherine. I'm one of those people who, when you're out and about, the injured and distressed animals throw themselves in front of me. So I have encountered, just since living in Colorado for 30 years, I think I have encountered at least 50 animals who have been injured, mostly motor vehicle strikes. But even I, as a as an animal advocate, I, I would have no idea what to do when I found a family of bluebirds that had landed in the road. The babies were getting killed. The parents had both been killed trying to save the babies. I find one last baby. I'm away from my known resources here. I'm out in Durango, not in Boulder County uh, in Colorado. I don't know what to do. So I spent two hours looking around for somebody to help finally found a veterinarian at a gym. She took the bird, but the need for this was just, it's just so great. Even when we were doing our advocacy work, we'd get a call every day about, Hey, this animal needs help. That animal needs help. Nobody knew what to do. People wanted to help, but they didn't know what to do. So my own personal experience kind of paralleled that of my co-founders. And we all knew that there was a need for an animal emergency app. The threats facing wildlife are immense. And I'm talking about individual animals. When you look at populations of wildlife, that's a separate issue, but those threats are immense too, with habitat loss, 
climate change, et cetera. Those threats are immense. What, what Animal Help Now does is we look to help the individual animals. And those threats, cumulatively, they're substantial, but they do have impacts on individual animals. And those are the ones that people want to help. And those are the ones that they can help. And those are the ones that we help them help. So these are, you look at the big causes and it's cat attacks, uh, outdoor cat attacks, feral cat attacks on small mammals. And it's motor vehicle strikes, window strikes, primarily with birds. And there are a number of other threats, but together, just the window strikes alone, there's a professor named Daniel Clem, who's your audience uh, might might want to look him up if they're not already familiar with his work. He just He's just publishing a book called In Solid Air or something like that. Anyway, he has been the principal researcher recently on window strikes in the United States. His current estimates are about a billion birds die in this country from window strikes every year. And that's when you break that down, that's 30 per second, which is hard to even fathom that level of loss. And then cats, it, cats are even greater, a couple times greater probably with their killings. And so the threats are there. Many animals survive these. They survive the window strikes. They survive the cat attacks. They survive the motor vehicle strikes. And obviously we want to help them, uh, get them to help as quickly as possible. People do want to help when they encounter wildlife in need, when they encounter animals in need. So at the same time that we're addressing the injured, we are also working hard to educate about mitigating the threats. So what can you do to your windows to make them more bird friendly? The people who put out bird feeders may be unwittingly creating a a death trap for birds if they are putting the bird feeders in the wrong place. And so a bird feeder needs to be fairly close to a window, a reflective window, or a window if it if the window is reflective, or if the window indicates that there's a path through a building, a corner window, for instance. You need to move indoor house plants away from windows that are near bird feeders because the birds are going to think they can land on those house plants in certain cases. So there's there's a lot that can be done to mitigate the threats, and forty percent of those window strikes are occurring in residences. And so these aren't just big, you know, glass towers in metropolitan areas. These are at our homes. And so there's an awful lot we can do and certainly keeping cats indoors, uh, coming up with creative and humane ways to resolve the feral cat crisis. These are things that we focus on every day and we try to raise awareness of, and we're trying to partner with other organizations to to uh, really have an impact so that as we continue to get closer and closer to wildlife, as human population continues to increase, and as humans continue to encroach on wildlife habitat, this is becoming more and more important that we figure out how to behave ourselves. We love working with rehabilitators. They're a unique group of folks Uh, We have a lot of veterinarians. We list a lot of wildlife hotlines. I I don't know if I've mentioned the hotlines or not, but if you use our app and you're in a coastal county, you're going to get whatever federal coastal marine 
hotlines are operating in that area. So if you're in the Dallas area, you're going to get the the Dallas Fort Worth Wildlife Coalition hotline if if you use our app. If you're in Missouri or Illinois, you'll get the Bi State Wildlife Hotline. In addition to getting wildlife rehabilitators, the nearest wildlife rehabilitators, the nearest veterinarians who help wildlife, etc. And so keeping this data current and and uh, keeping the relationships healthy, that's a top priority for us. And it's it's been a, a, a real joy to work with so many people who are so mission-driven, doing so many different things on behalf of animals. So it's been a tremendously rewarding experience at the same time that it has its challenges. Now tell me about your success rate. I've noticed you have a very strong presence on social media, like Facebook. Yes, there are a couple of indications that we're doing well. The number of sessions, the number of times people access our phone app or our website, that goes up every year without fail, and it goes up significantly usually. Well, I think we've just, I think I haven't looked, but I think we just had our one millionth visitor sometime in September or October. I I believe we, we would have had one million now people either using our phone app. By the way, really want to encourage people to download the phone app because the next time they have they encounter an animal who needs their help, that app's going to work for them, whether they have network coverage or not. It's a really robust approach. Our, our app is not a is not um, you know slapped together. These apps are really sophisticated. As long as you can get a GPS signal, you'll find the nearest assistance. We just had this year, we I believe we just reached 100,000 accesses to our of our wildlife emergency service. So the wildlife conflict was added just maybe four or five years ago, but wildlife emergency is really where we where we started, and that's the the, the gets the most focus. But the we've had a hundred thousand visits this year to our wildlife emergency service, which is fantastic. I think we had less than a hundred thousand all year last year, and there was a big bump, big increase last year because so many people were around home and they were finding animals in their yards and trying to find out, assuming that the animals needed help. And so that's been a success. We see people are spending just about the right amount of time on the app, a couple minutes, two, three minutes. That's a measure of increased success. People are getting in. That's Our mission is to make it as easy as possible for people to get help. We stay out of their way. We don't ask for their, tell us who you are, give us your email address, blah, blah, blah. We just want them to get help. So the average visit should take about two, two and a half, three minutes, depending upon the time of day. But that's a, that's a, another um, measure of success that we're happy about. The the like you say, the increase in attention on social media that has been rewarding, and we're getting some. We have some usability folks now, uh, and some volunteers at PhD level, and they're really taking a look at uh, how people are using the site. So we're feeling super optimistic that we can even do better than we've been doing in terms of getting people directly to the help that they need. But I, Catherine, I think the biggest, the, the most rewarding, certainly hearing the, the, the stories of people successfully using the app and getting the help they need and seeing a picture of a kid holding a, an opossum or a bird and, and, and knowing that that had the right ending those are super rewarding. 
and a strong indication of success. And for me personally, the the fact that our volunteers are they they work as hard as and our paid staff, our paid staff, they stick around. They don't. We try to treat them right, and and they're dedicated as well, super dedicated. So the it's been for me a real mark of success that we have such a a, a wonderful team, and we need it because the people who are doing that work out in the field, the wildlife rehabilitators, they need all the help they can get. So we, we're trying to make their lives easier. And it's just been overall, I think, an unqualified success. Now, could you just walk our listeners through how to use your app? Let's say someone has just found an injured hawk in their backyard. If you have your phone with you, if you have the Animal Help Now app downloaded, you open it, it's going to pull up your location unless you have disabled location services on your phone, it's going to pull up your location and you're going to press wildlife emergency. You're going to get a warning. Hey, be careful about handling any animal who needs your help, who's injured, maybe sick. You're going to click okay to the warning. You're going to then get a list of all of the, we call them helpers, the rehabilitators, the uh, animal hospitals that accept wildlife, the wildlife hotlines, if there are any in your area, you're going to get a list of all of those. And you're going to look for a raptor and you're going to tap the first listing you see. And it's going to bring up that helper's contact information and you're going to tap on their phone number more than likely. And you'll be uh, on your way to talking to somebody who can help. The stress that a person's under, their hands are, you know, they can be shaking. They've got adrenaline rush going. They are just desperate for assistance. And it's ridiculous that this system didn't exist long ago. Right? We this has been a this has been an issue for a long time. And 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 the United States has the best one in the world right now, the best app in the in the world. And really one of only two, possibly three, that cover other areas. So no other country has a fully functioning wildlife emergency app. And it's just absolutely crazy. One of our goals is to expand internationally. We do know that Australia's got something coming up. They took some of the funding that they got from the bushfires, the, the wildlife rehabilitation organizations, and have put that toward an app to replace one that they had been using that was kind of limited in, in its in its functionality. But the need is is uh, absolutely there and on the services provided by wildlife rehabilitators, as well as other wildlife experts, and that people are educated about how to handle wildlife emergencies. So this is all part of a burgeoning development. And there are a lot of different organizations working on this from both the the emergency and the conflict standpoints, but we just have to work together to be more effective. We, we, I think animal help now has, is a really, really benefits from its relationship with wildlife rehabilitators. And we try to make sure that they benefit from their relationship with us. We are in close contact with wildlife hotlines in, in several areas of the country. So, the, you know, the idea here is to let's just be smart. We're way behind in terms of addressing 
wildlife emergencies and wildlife conflicts. Let's be smart going forward, do the best we can. I'd like to thank David Crawford for joining us today. You can download the free app for Animal Help Now on your cell phone or use their website by going to ahnow.org. Join Americans everywhere in the One Third for the Birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. That's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now.